0: Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Guy over there, haven't you noticed him? He's been sitting there for a couple hours, drinking coffee and staring at us.
1: So what's the problem? I'll
0: tell you what's the problem. He doesn't smile. He doesn't talk. He looks at me like I'm not there. You'd think I'd slept with him or something. and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and here with me to discuss the fourth season episode, Suspicion, is first-time guest of the show, Chris Karam. How's it going, Chris?
1: Great, Ryan. It's great to be here. I've been a fan of the show for since probably day one or, or when I discovered it, so it's I'm really happy to be here to talk about this show.
0: Well, thank you very much for saying so. Uh, although since you are, since you've never been on the show before, you were kind of a mysterious stranger. That makes me a little paranoid. Uh, you better explain yourself or at least tell the listeners how and when you started watching Cheers.
1: Well, before I say anything else, uh, I'd be suspicious of Rob Kelly. Uh,
0: what, what <laughs> I, do we I really, usually am.
1: <laughs> what do we really know about him?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But anyway, yeah, my origin story comes from I I believe I was watching Cheers since season 1. Uh the reason I say that is because back then I had a job uh after school uh, afternoons and nights. So I can't say for with certainty that I watched it from the very beginning, but I'm pretty sure I was watching it the first season. I mean, I probably saw it erratically. I mean, you know, like I said, I worked and I didn't have we didn't have a VCR. But Cheers, obviously, I'm from I'm from Massachusetts. I grew up in a city called Lawrence. So, obviously, Cheers being a great show is one thing, but to have it be set in, you know, the hometown, Boston, means everything, you know. It's just, and I've, you know, I went to the real Cheers, the Bull and uh, Finch, Mm -hmm. uh, back when the show was still on the air. So, you know, Cheers has a lot of great memories for me. Mm, Cool.
0: All right. Well, then, let's get into this episode. Like I said, we were talking about Season 4, Episode 14, Suspicion. This episode is written by Tom Reeder, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, January 16th, 1986. Instead of watching a Three Stooges movie, Diane recommends that Sam and Carla use their imagination to make up backstories for the customers in the bar. The first one Carla notices is a mysterious stranger sitting by himself who only drinks coffee and doesn't talk. More than that, the stranger appears to be watching the group and taking notes. Once Norm, Cliff, and Woody note him, they start to speculate that he may be a spy or an investigator of some sort, and they conspire to find out more about him, failing quite pitifully at the act. As the stranger's presence bothers them more and more, they begin to turn on each other, accusing one another of misdeeds that would bring this kind of scrutiny to the bar. Finally, Sam decides to kick the man out in order to keep his regulars from saying anything even more hurtful. At that point, Diane reveals that the stranger is a man from her psychology class, helping her do an experiment on paranoia. The gang does not respond well to being used as test subjects and heavily imply that they will get revenge. Days later, Diane has become a nervous wreck as she assumes the gang is conspiring to punish her. When the producer of a public television show asks Diane to do a reading of one of her poems for the show's spotlight on local artists, Diane assumes this is part of the revenge plot and acts like a clucking hen on camera. Of course, the show is legit, and her behavior is broadcast for the whole city to laugh at her. But Diane's public shaming pales to her disappointment that Sam and the others didn't think she was worthy enough of their revenge until she walks into Sam's office and gets a bucket of water dumped on her head. All right, Chris, what did you think of this episode?
1: I liked it. Um, It's funny, I embarked on a rewatch of Cheers uh, since getting Hulu a few months back, and I had seen this episode a while back, but luckily I forgot about the guy being a a plant by Diane. So I enjoyed this episode, but I wanted to bring up something, just a kind of uh, cultural reference. Back in the 70s on Saturday night on CBS, you had a lineup that back-to-back, you had Bob Newhart, All in the Family, MASH, and Mary Tyler Moore. Well, by this point in the 80s, you had Thursday nights on, on NBC, which was Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court. Mm-hmm. And as far as I was concerned, that was like the equivalent for my generation or the generation that, like, I grew up in the – I was a teenager at that point. Boy, I mean – and don't get me wrong. I, I understand Cosby is tainted because of what happened. But back then, boy, what a killer lineup that oh, was. Oh,
0: absolutely. That was – yeah, no, I, I grew up watching the same thing. I, I was that was, where, that was my Thursday nights, and I was aware of, like – It was it was a powerhouse. Like I didn't I didn't plan like I mean, I I was still a child, but my family didn't plan TV nights around anything else like they did around Thursday.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just it was a magical time. All those shows were in their prime, uh, especially Cheers, because this is my favorite era of Cheers. The uh, the Diane years, the Sam and Diane years, I should say. And this episode was interesting in a way. It's a good character study because. You know, for example, when they have the meeting inside the pool room or is it Sam's office? Anyway, the bathroom, bathroom. You're right. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. They all file in single file. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first thing that Cliff does is throws Woody into the bus. Mm -hmm. What do we know about him, Sam? You know, he just comes here. You give him a job. And, you know, they were all like at their absolute worst. I mean, not that these people are, you know, examples of moral, uh, you know, moral examples, but uh it just brings out the worst in them and they're all paranoid which of course is was the whole point of the exercise but yeah this was a this was a really fun episode you know not a not a great episode in my estimation but it was a good you know kind of mid-season episode there's no real life or death storyline here you know none of the sam and diane back and forth thing just a good fun episode
0: yeah, yeah, it's a, it wouldn't necessarily be essential, but there are a lot of good comic moments, uh, a lot of humor and everything. Um, written by Tom Reeder, who I think at this point had written an episode every season. I think he is like one of those guys who came in like a journeyman once a year. Um, I think he ends up writing seven or eight episodes total.
1: Yeah, he's he's someone sort of who's written a lot of stuff. I mean, I've seen that name on several other shows. I, mean, I think he may have even written a mash episode, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to check on that one. But yeah, yeah he was definitely. I think this is back when shows would have outside writers contribute. I don't even. I don't know if shows do that anymore. I think shows have big writing and production staffs now, but. I mean, Cheers obviously certainly had a great writing and producing staff, and they, and I'm sure someone like Reader, if he had been, you know, solic- uh, submitting a show per season, he obviously knew the show and how the characters
0: worked. Right, right. Um, before going through like the whole, are the notes? Um, looking at the guest cast for this episode, especially uh, the stranger who was so omnipresent in the first act. Um, He's credited as Irving. That's what we find out what his name is at the end once, once Diane actually makes the introductions. And I love Carlos responses. We got Zoe over a guy named Irving because he's this really tall, really lanky guy dressed in a black suit. He has very sharp, very severe looking features. I, he's, he's got a presence. And in the credits it's, he's played by MC gaming. Now, if you're not sure, I, I guarantee everybody, you have seen this guy before, But unless you were really aware of, like in the '80s, you probably haven't seen him looking like this. I mean, this guy is in Con Air, Justified, one of my favorite movies, Happy Texas, and he's usually playing a much more wild type of character, usually with a lot of facial hair and longer hair, and kind of like like a like a biker type of like kind of like wild man type of character. Completely different from how he is presented in this episode. So much so. When I saw that name in the credits, I'm like, oh, that's a mistake on IMDb. Like that kid, that is not the same guy, not at all. And I even had trouble seeing it when I was really comparing it to, and I had to like do a Google search and find an image of him from like, like some, like some like shows or something like, uh, like a Hill Street Blues episode or something from around the same time, like the mid eighties where I could see, I was like, wow, no, that's yeah, that's him. That's what he looked like. It was
1: nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, shows back then, seventy. I mean, throughout the history of sitcoms, really, you know, you just have these character actors, these journeyman actors who, you know, you may not know their name, but you say, "Oh yeah, I know that guy," and and I liked his presence. He was very brooding, kind of foreboding, especially when they tried to trick him into answer, you know, coming to the phone, and he, he's like, "Take a number," mm-hmm. you know, really defiant. Like you, you get the distinct impression this guy is up to something. But what's great about His character is that when Diane finally, you know, breaches the, she lets the secret out, he changes demeanor almost immediately. He starts Mm -hmm. smiling, he's amiable, and he says, okay, Diane, I'll see you later, I'll see you in class. And, but yeah, he's very foreboding, he's just sort of sitting there sipping, I mean, especially to go to a bar and just sit there all day drinking coffee, you know, and not doing much of anything. I mean, obviously... I don't know who would sit in a bar for several hours a day just drinking beer but you know that's
0: uh, <laughs> we've got some we've got some people on the show who that is that is their the organizing principle of their life yeah well
1: you know it's the norm principle you know it's it's exactly. I, I think they i think one missed opportunity they had when cheers was on the air they should have had a tie in book you know like the towel of norm or something like that <laughs> forward, forward by cliff claven who of course <laughs> you know knows about books
0: <laughs> yeah um, oh, uh, in my notes, one other MC Ganey appearance. Uh, he played Sheriff Roscoe Coltrane in the 2005 movie remake of The Dukes of Hazzard, which, while I can't recommend anybody needs to see it, I, I did see it, and it was a better movie than it had any right to be, considering two of the leads were Jessica Simpson and Johnny Knoxville, so...
1: Anyway, yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch it just because I was kind of in this mode of like, I don't want to see a cheap a, a remake of a show that I kind of only
0: marginally liked. Anyway, yeah, I don't think anybody needs to see it. I mean, you're not missing anything. And
1: well, Burt uh, Reynolds is Boss Hog. I mean, Boss Hog is supposed to be a little fat guy, a chubby little guy, and, and you know, he just looks he looks like the bandits. You know, switch sides, but anyway.
0: Also, just in general, The Dukes of Hazard isn't isn't a show that has aged well, and we don't need. that's not something that we need to remember fondly anymore just but anywho um so getting into the episode our teaser starts with uh carla she is exhausted at work because she has just had so few hours of sleep lately uh two of her kids are sick she says the neighbor's dog went into heat at five in the morning and she's in the middle of a double shift so she's tired the gang has this idea to pick her up. Sam goes to the jukebox and plays a song on the, the radio. Now, the original broadcast of the show, uh, the song was Shout by the Isley Brothers. Okay, great I was tune. wondering, I yeah, was wondering great- about that. Great tune, great little scene to dance to it and everything like that. In the current, I believe, the, the Hulu version and the digital version that I have on iTunes, um, it's a much lesser known, thereby I'm sure cheaper to get the rights to, um, a blues rock song called My Mind is Gone by Little Ed and the Blue Imperials. The song is fine, um, but kind of, I think like the sound mix is just way too loud and... and interesting I did not go back and check on my DVDs I'm wondering if I'm wondering uh, if I'm a DVD if this is the version or if it's a different song or if it's shout, I'm not sure
1: yeah I thought about that I was wondering if they if they had changed the music because unfortunately like I you know I, I'm a fan of shows like happy days and mm-hmm. I can zero in on you know generic replacement music uh, straight away but I do love her dance though it's so like energetic it's so infectious and Everybody in the bar is just enjoying the hell out of it, you know. Norm's twirling her around, Sam's twirling her around, and everybody's just clapping and enjoying the time. And you know, it's funny. Like I don't know if you've ever been to the Real Bull and Finch Pub, Ryan? Have you? I have. Yeah, it's a much smaller place than what we see on Cheers. I, I, I'm, I'm not like a, a big bar person, but of the bars I've been in, in Boston, no bar in Boston is as big as Cheers is on TV. I mean, Cheers is a real fantasy in that they've got this huge bar and this big spacious, you know, obviously it's for TV and it has to look a certain way. But, yeah, I mean, but getting back to Carly, it was it was a nice little moment, you know, one of those teasers that really has nothing to do with the main plot, like the vast majority of them are. And then I liked her the way she ended it by pulling the plug on the jukebox and just, you know, saying, don't, you know. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so when we come back from the opening credits uh, Sam find out he has spilled his bottle of cologne in his office because Diane notices how much it smells and he he says later that's $2.50 down the train (laughs) so that's how much his perfume or his cologne costs Um, it would be a simple gag and everything but I like the fact that later on when they're like they need to huddle somewhere and and discuss they're going to go into his office but because of the smell they decide to go into the ladies room instead I think that's a nice this little, you know, they, they set that up that, yeah, his, he dropped the cologne and they paid off a little bit later. I thought that was like a funny re, like revisit of the gag.
1: Yeah, that, that's good writing when you you have a little throwaway gag, but then it comes back to sort of play into the storyline later. And again, you know, there's just the way that like, they were all supposed to file in one at a time to the ladies room. And of course, they all just pile in there. And, you know, Sam says, uh, we could have done that a little bit better but uh yeah it 's like I said, good writing is when you you know you can recall a little like I said a little throwaway thing and and have it play into what you 're doing and it you know it makes it just makes it funny that they 're all cramped in the in the uh, ladies room
0: mhm so uh, Diane wants Sam and Carla and the others to kind of like use their imaginations and kind of like think about the other customers and you know do little daydream fantasies of what kind of lives they might like. Once you know the secret of the episode and where it's going obviously she wants them to start looking around. She wants them to notice Irving sitting all by himself for the paranoia to grow for them to, for the experiment to work. They need to be aware that they're being watched and she might not trust these people. So obtuse in their day-to-day lives that she might not, they might never actually occur to them to look at him. And Carla does notice that. But before that, I love when Diana's telling Sam, she's like, what about that, that couple sitting at that table? He's like, yeah, it's a guy and a girl having a drink. She goes, use a little imagination. So Sam closes his eyes, like, okay, a guy and a naked girl having a drink. <laughs>
1: yeah, you got to love Sammy. I mean, that's, you know, his mind goes straight to, you know, to sex. I mean, 97% of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, he's going
1: to say that. Yeah.
0: What did you think of Norman Cliff taking Woody out? Kind of like on like a little men's adventure, you know, watching, you know, oogling, you know, women and everything like that. What did you think? I, I
1: I have to admit that was a, a a good little gag, especially when you know you consider that Norman Cliff are the old jaded guys and Woody's like the new you know at this point he's still the new guy and he's all excited, of course you know at all these women these braless women <laughs> you know it, it's probably not the most politically correct joke, but you know it's funny. I mean Cheers Cheers was not po- about political correctness, and I like the fact that you know that they went off on a little you know thing together. It's nice to see that Woody's kind of being you know, more and more integrated into the family, so to speak. And, uh, you know, one thing I will say about Woody, obviously this is his first season. I think he really caught on right away, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nicholas Colasanto was so great as coach, and he was adorable, and I loved him. And, you know, Woody could have very easily been a pale imitation of coach, but I like how his his character evolves, you know, maybe not in in intellectual terms, but... Mm -hmm. I like is how his character evolves. You know, we're starting to see, OK, he's not coach. He's not quite as not quite as uh, into his own head as, you know, as uh, Nicholas Colasantos character was. But, yeah, it's nice to see them kind of going off on a little jaunt together. And, you know, you know, and Woody being, you know, from the uh, farm town, he's all excited at seeing all these women in this way, you know, which for him is probably a big deal.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I, I I think you're you're exactly right. And it's it was something that I mentioned sort of at the beginning of the season and I kinda I, I think I keep coming back to because every episode sort of reinforces that. As much as Coach was such a dear and wonderful character and you love coach, the thing about him was he was already fully formed from the pilot episode. And in the two and a half years that we had coach, he didn't really change or evolve. That character stuck when we get woody yeah at first he's kind of like coach junior uh and a lot of his jokes could be the same as just recycled coach jokes things like that but we do see him evolve and we peel more layers off of woody especially as the next seven seasons go you know we'll we'll, we'll find more for woody to do and 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 places that he could go that coach could never go um so i just think that's a wonderful thing and yeah i like it you know, it was just a couple episodes before this that Sam and Woody really bonded over the, the, the gambling thing. Um, and, and actually uh, evoking coach's memory when they start singing together at the end. And now it's like, yeah, Woody is really fully integrated as a part of the family. And even the regulars can take him out. They'll, you know, he'll pal around like their kid brother too.
1: I remember, you know, you saying what you just said about Coach, how, you know, the character never really evolved or he was what he was. And I thought about it when you said this, it was, I don't remember which episode it was. And I said, boy, he's right. Coach really was what he was. He never really, you know, got any smarter. Well, obviously he wasn't going to get smarter, but I mean, he never really grew. He was, he was an older guy and kind of set in his ways. Brilliant. And, and in fact, I, you can, you might be able to confirm this for me. I thought I read somewhere one time that, Nicholas Colasanto was like a method actor in that as soon as he got out of his car and set foot on the uh, studio lot, he was coach. Like the whole time he was there until he left for the day.
0: Yeah. I think, I think Ted Danson says that in, it might be the 200th episode special where they have like the whole cast doing their interviews. I think Ted Danson mentioned something like that, that that was like the type of actor that Nicky Colasanto was that he was just like, he was that committed. As soon as he was on the set, on the studio, he was just in that zone.
1: Right. And it's funny to think that this is Woody Harrelson's like really his first job in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a guy who's, you know, had no prior experience to this or at least none that was documented, you know, boy, he comes right in. He just finds his place and he's carving out his niche within the Cheers Um You know, universe. I guess Mm -hmm.
0: certainly the way the show was written, the way it was organized at the start. I mean, Sam was the lead, and they could do a norm centric episode, they could do a coach centric episode. They did a few where he was kind of like the main plot of the show and everything, but there was never any danger of you know coach taking over, as we'll see, like in later seasons and especially once once Diane leaves and it's no longer the relationship drama and more of the workplace comedy aspect of it, the ensemble. You definitely see elements where I think Woody. Harrelson and Kelsey Grammer are the two actors and characters who step up, who could be, you know, the who could take on the reins, who could be the leads if the show was ever to kind of spin off or go that way. And I think that's why you see that those are the two actors that had the most prolific careers after after the show.
1: And you think, and I'll bet you know, Kelsey Grammer didn't wasn't thinking to himself, "This is going to be a twenty year career." He probably just was hoping he'd get hired, and you know which they did eventually, he's such a great character. And I love, I like the fact too, that he and Sam have their own friendship outside of the fact that, you know, they first met because he was Diane's therapist, boyfriend, whatever you want to call him. but they, they legitimately have their own friendship and and it's a friendship that really grows as the seasons progress. Even after Diane is gone, they're still buddies. You know, Mm -hmm. they actually are really good friends and it's nice to see that a character that was probably only conceived as a, a character that might appear in you know for one season or a few uh you know recurring episodes ends up becoming one of the biggest characters in the whole
0: show mm-hmm. all of all of popular television really for a couple decades, yeah. 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 Um, I love when they have this idea. Okay. We need to find out more about this guy. What he takes the lead and he kind of, he does this thing, his youthful <laughs> bounding <laughs> over the bar with his coffee. And he, he walks right up to this Irving guy and he goes, Hey, I'm Woody. I'm from Hanover, Indiana, which is the placemat capital of the world. He says, his mother's name is Margaret. His father's name is Edgel. Uh, which is a name I don't know if I've ever heard of that name, um, but he says his favorite color is blue and he saved all of his baby teeth. And he's like, "What about you?" And Corserman just like straight, like deadpan, like lo- like looking at him, like with blood like knives, as just like go away. And, walks, and Sam's like, "Well, what'd you find out?" But he just kind of so has the most self awareness. He's like, "I've lived kind of a dull life." <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, Edgel. The only time I think I've ever heard that word or that name was on a Monty Python skit. Mm-mm. I don't know if it's and I I thought when they were describing it, they were describing like a bird of some sort or maybe an animal. I I don't know, but yeah, Woody's great. I mean, he just comes over. He's just so he's so genuine as a person. Like, there's no guile. There's no. He just comes on like, "Hey, I'm Woody," and here you know, tells him like you said, tells him all those. Uh, inane details and you know you can, almost don't blame the guy for reacting the way he does mm-hmm. you know I mean he, you know he's not like polite or anything he just says go like you said go away yeah he's he's just great and and I, and, I, and like his when he gets like shot down you know woody house is <laughs> just so funny like man I've lived a dull life you know yeah. he, he just takes everything so literally yeah. and just, like he doesn't have any kind of uh you know reasoning to sort of try and think it out he just kind of goes straight to you know despair and just walks away from it <laughs> yeah.
0: there's a brilliant little p- thing that ted danson does when irving is playing with a cigarette lighter and kind of like flicking it and they're like well if he's a spy maybe that's a- oh, it's cliff naturally it's cliff and thinks that's actually a hidden camera, a hidden sort of like camera. and and every time he does that flicking the cigarette that he's actually taking pictures as soon as he mentions taking pictures Sam, even though he's saying that's that's crazy. He's not taking pictures or anything. But while he's saying that, he starts checking his hair and like patting his <laughs> hair down. It's this immediate sort of vanity thing. He's like, oh, there's pictures. Yeah, even gotta make sure I'm looking good, even while my mouth is saying it's not a camera, don't be silly. It's like this instinctive thing. And that had to be something that Ted Danson decided to do as an actress. Brilliant. That little for just a second, you would hardly notice it, but it's so good.
1: Ted Danson was just brilliant as an actor. I mean, he's, I've seen him in other things and he's great, but man, you know, excuse me. I would say that Cheers is like his defining role. I mean, when he, when he dies someday and hope it's not for, you know, a long time to come, they're going to say Ted Danson, best known for playing Sam Malone on Cheers. Obviously Sam, his, his looks, his vanity are very important to him. You know, he, he puts a lot of pride in his appearance and the way he looks, you know, he's almost kind of like a, almost like an 80s version of the fawns in a sense. Mm. Um, you know, he's got all these different women. He's got, a, you know, several black books. <laughs> and he's just a little more of an obvious horn dog. Happy Days was a little more subtle and, you know, was more of a family show, whereas Cheers... You know, the standards were probably a little more relaxed when they were doing the show because this stuff they even say in these episodes that if you go back to the 70s, they wouldn't have been able to say it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's Ted Danson's brilliant. I mean, he's just they couldn't have picked anyone better for the lead of the show. And I'm so glad like he stayed the entire run of the series.
0: Yeah. There's one, what I found to be a notably bad joke or bad setup in the episode. Like it just really like, it, because, because it's so rare in the show there, like this one, like really just kind of like pinged on my radar. Like, wait, wait, that didn't work. Um, it's when Sam is like, okay, let's think about the four things that we know about this guy. He's been here since we opened up. He's not drinking and he's not waiting for a table upstairs. He says, wait, that's only three things. And Diane says, you're an idiot. And Sam is like, okay, well, that's the fourth thing, and it gets a laugh. But um, i like, Diane's reaction was too harsh. Like, what about what he said before? Like, led him to say, "You're an idiot." Like, that it felt like like all oh, this weird non sequitur. Or maybe, maybe it was there was more to that dialogue, but it was like edited weirdly. It just feel like her her reaction seemed too strong. And like, what was she trying to correct him or something? Like, I just I don't know that that whole part. I was like, this feels. Badly written or badly edited somehow.
1: I don't know. It didn't play that way to me. I just took it for what it was. You know, just kind of a a typical sort of Sam and Diane exchange. Um, I didn't really notice it, and I watched it a couple of times before uh before the recording. You know, I watched it one time to watch it, and then I watched it uh, a couple hours ago, and I took notes. So I don't know. It didn't play that way to me. I guess you know, I, to me, it's just it's just kind of a throwaway gag. I don't. I didn't put much too. I didn't read too much more into it really.
0: Okay, well, then once Diane reveals that she knows the stranger Irving, and we went through, and you're right, like his. MC Guinea's whole like demeanor changes, and I love that. And like as soon as he does that, I'm like, ah, I want to see more of this guy again. Um, but he he disappears. And now in Act Two, Diane has grown completely paranoid that they're going to retaliate for her experiment. She calls Fraser, who <laughs> is so excited to get her call that she needs his help because, despite his assurances that he's not in love with her, he clearly is because he left Denver. <laughs> he left a ski lodge in Denver to come and get it to come and see what she needs and you know she's talking about she basically goes through the whole thing and he's like you know maybe a couple sessions today i don't i don't want your counseling i want you to spy on them for me (laughs) which i just thought was brilliant
1: well you know nothing says you're over someone like like telling them and making sure that they know it i mean and it's not the first time it's not the last time fraser will say this to diane um but yeah the exchange between them was great i mean obviously he you know, he even made a reference to the fact that there was some really nice-looking woman there, and he was kind of buying <laughs> her. And you know, of course, foolishly, he th- you know, following his heart, he jumps on the plane. But the exchange between them is great. I mean, Kelsey Grammer, my gosh, was he good as Frasier? I mean, yeah, you know, starting with Cheers and even going through his own show, you know, he really maintained, you know, uh, really the integrity of Frasier. Frazier, like, sees himself, he's kind of pompous, but at the same time, he does have that kind of, I, I don't want to say sophomoric side, but he, there is a part of him that somehow can relate to the guys in the bar, even though mm-hmm. sometimes he's, like, the odd man, much more so than Diane, you know, because, as she points out in this episode, she's the outsider, and she always was, and she always would be. But Well, was-
0: the Cheers, the bar itself, is kind of the great leveler, and as I've said, it bring it sucks everybody down to its gravity well ever its level, and the more you're close to it to and like like he like Frazier is brought to Cheers through Diane and his love for Diane and wanting to marry Diane. And she ruins him and devastates him. And and that's all Cheers just like, like just destroyed him and he can never really get away. He never really recovers from that. And then eventually he'll meet Lilith, but it Cheers is still part of their meeting and part of their courtship and their falling in love and then lilith breaks his heart at the very end and everything so yeah it's all yeah that's that that sense of ruination that, that destruction even though it's temporary is still the kind of thing that keeps him bonded to cheers and the way he'll he's never he, he can't really be superior to norman cliff in that way because he at the end of the day he's he's he sits there and drinks just like that yeah
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, as much as he doesn't see himself that way or tries not to, mm-hmm. you're right. It is the great leveler. I mean, I think the only person it doesn't really work on completely is Diane. She's never completely drawn in or leveled, brought to their level. She always kind of tries to, in her in her own mind, rise above it. I don't think she always succeeds, but she certainly, you know, sees herself. But then again, if, if she was so smart, if she was so cultured, why is she still there after four years?
0: Right, right. And it's, I mean, spoilers, but eventually it's going to be, she's pushed out again. It was it was going to be sort of like the catalyst, but for her, for her leaving, um, I think, yeah, getting back to Fraser because this, I think is sort of the nadir of his character arc in the, this season where they really don't know what to do with him because they, they're probably not going to get him and Diane back together, but why else would he be there for the time being? But at least, I, so you know, his his saying that he's no longer in love with her, but he really sort of is, totally is. I, I at least in this episode, I didn't find that to be annoying. I actually thought he they they wrote this part of it well. So, uh, and then we get our other guests are our other major guest star, and this one is uh, Martin Gallagher from this uh, news station, who was played by Hamilton Camp, who has hundreds and hundreds of credits. Uh, on IMDb, including a lot of voice work. And actually, um, he was, uh, he was the voice of the radio announcer in the final episode of MASH. Um, but he also did tons of voices for cartoons. He was Fenton Crackshell and Gizmo Duck on DuckTales. He was the voice of Professor Chrome Dome and The Tick. Um, he actually, he appeared in the show Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. He played H.G. Wells. Um, but yeah, this guy has been all over the place for, for a couple decades.
1: I remember him from uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, Soap. He did a couple of episodes of MASH playing different characters, mm-hmm. which was a total lunatic. Yeah, Hamilton Camp was one of those ubiquitous character actors, especially if you were watching TV in the 70s and the 80s and, you know, the 90s, obviously, because of, you know, what you just re- reminded me of of Lois and Clark. He's he's a, he's a real gem. It's kind of a wonder that he never uh, had a show of his own where... He, you know, maybe not necessarily being the lead, but he he would have been a great supporting character on a on a show like this, for example. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, he just and uh, but it, kind of like a thankless role this time because it doesn't really do yeah. anything outside. He just sets them up, and and as soon as they throw the premise at Diane, she assumes that this is a trap. So when they get the camera on her <laughs> and they're recording her poet, she says this is an ode to a Cornish hen, and this is all purely Shelley Long's performance and her physical her physical command of her face and her body and everything, the way she's able to mock this chicken or hen or something like that. Um, and it's so beautiful. and It's so fun to watch. And the fact that they pro- recorded that and broadcast it for all of, you know, public access, Boston or something like that. It's wonderful.
1: You know, it's almost like a masterclass in comedic acting. Mm-hmm. Here's Shelly mm-hmm. Long playing this stuffy kind of, you know, she has her nose up at, anybody who she doesn't deem to be cultured or on her level of culture and breeding yet when she goes into this bit where she's doing the clucking Cornish hen, she's brilliant. Her eyes are bulging, her lips are quivering and like the look of the face of Hamilton camp and his, you know, his crew guys just watching in utter disbelief. Normally it's Hamilton camp who's playing the crazy zany Um, role and usually other people are reacting to him so that's what I I agree with you when you say he was kind of underutilized but what a brilliant performance and what's even funnier they aired it (laughs) (laughs) why on earth would you air that I mean that might be something like you would watch like at the office or in the editing room like you might put it on a blooper reel or something but you would not put that on even on public television so and the fact that they're all watching the bar is just absolutely hilarious and Mm -hmm. she just and that she's, you know, her, like her paranoia has just consumed her by this point.
0: Yeah, she, it's she, uh, yeah.
1: She can't <laughs> take the fact that they're all watching. Like, oh, Diane it wasn't that bad.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that in like the finale for just like the last ninety seconds when the come back when the gang is watching on television. It's obviously a few days later, you know, maybe a week later because you know the come the the studio had to you know like edit and cut this footage and put it on their show. So it's so many days later, but I noticed. Cliffy isn't in his postal uniform for the last 90 seconds. like whatever day this is or something, it's like it's a weekend or something. Cliff is in civilian clothes. He only like other than like if they're going on a fishing trip or something like you can count on one hand the number of times that Cliff isn't in his mail carrier uniform. And this is one of them. I thought that was an interesting touch to show that this is clearly a later time.
1: You know, I didn't notice that. I didn't really. I wasn't paying close enough attention, I guess. But that's interesting because you very rarely see Cliff out of uniform. The only time you ever see him is if he's, you know, at his, at his condo, like getting ready for a date and he puts on, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, which is that, which is funny. Cause you never, you know, you never see, I mean, it's like, it's like Norm, Norm, you never see Norm. You very rarely see Norm wearing anything, but his, you know, his suit and tie, even though he doesn't have a job, <laughs> which is funny because he looks like he's going to a job every day, but he's, he's not, but yeah, I, it's a, that's a nice detail. I didn't notice that.
0: Um, And so it it ends with Diane kind of doing her little monologue that she's more more offended, not at her public shaming, but the fact that she anticipated their revenge and that they didn't deliver anything because she's still an outsider and they didn't think – it, like she wasn't, she couldn't handle it or something like that, That she, she still isn't part of the group. And then she walks in the office and then a bucket of water dumps over her head. Luckily it's water and not, you know, it could have gone to a, like a, a carry situation or something. Um, but she comes out drenched and rather than freaking out, she's beaming with pride and appreciation. She's got a huge smile and she's like, Oh, you guys. And they cut to black. So kind of a nice little, uh, nice little, capper at the end there i thought it was funny so not not a perfect not the funniest episode but there was a lot of heart and a lot of like nice little moments um and as you say interesting but once they're under even just the teeniest bit of outside pressure to see them turn on each other is just so perfect of course they would assume you know the worst of each other once there's even a right. little bit of scrutiny yeah
1: well i like you know one of my favorite uh, two of my favorite little bits in this episode were when woody offers diane the muffin Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want me? No, I'll take the muffin you have. And then she he keeps he keeps switching. She keeps switching back and forth. And finally, she takes a muffin and she's like she's opening it up like it's going to explode or something like that. And then she crumbles it to bits so she can't eat it. And do you, Can you clean this up? And then there's another uh, sequence. I think it was right around that time. There's a customer she's talking to, and all of a sudden she becomes suspicious of the customer and she starts telling the customer off. You know, which is not something Diane usually does. I mean, she's guilty of, you know, engaging, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, t- talking the ear off about something they probably don't care about. But it's usually Carla who goes off on the customer. So it was kind of nice to see like the, again, you know, the paranoia just taking over her. And <laughs> one one other line I loved, and just kind of going back a little bit, when we the scene where he's flipped where um I forget the guy's name, Irving, yeah, playing with the cigarette lighter, and Cliff says, that's an espionage camera, you know, and it automatically made me think of, I don't know, like James Bond movies from the sixties or get smart where, you know, somebody would have a cigarette lighter that would fire, you know, bullets or something like that. So it was kind of cute. I mean, of course Cliff would go, Cliff is probably the most he's, I think he's paranoid by nature anyway. He's always buying into really crazy conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Diane, uh, Shelly Wong is just great in this episode. She just yeah. really – you know, she just takes it home. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, then that can bring us to the superlatives. Um, for Norm's tab, uh, he had five beers in this one because we, we changed times a, a number of times, so he had plenty of opportunities to have refills. Um, so that takes him up to 335 beers for the series. For the employee of the week, uh, I'm assuming is Diane your, your favorite?
1: Yes. Oh, definitely. Yes, yeah, she definitely – sort of drives this episode in her way, first by starting the uh, the psychological experiment and then her paranoia just ruling her throughout the second half of the program. Shelley Long, you know, you look. I looked, like I said, one of the things when I started re-watching the show a few months ago, this show has held up very well for me. I still enjoy it probably as much as I did back in the day. And Shelley Long is just absolutely brilliant. I mean, they're, they're all great actors, but you know, this is like a tour de force for her in a lot of ways. And, you know, she's this very cultured person, like I've said, and she kind of looks down her nose at a lot of people. But when she gets paranoid, she's as neurotic and crazy as any of them.
0: Seeing her unravel is really special. And in my head, I know that Shelly Long deserves it for this episode i think i think she seeing her unravel seeing the clucking hen everything she should be um, i ended up giving it to woody for this episode just because of like the quality of her quantity. like every line was so special and because he got like my two favorite lines in this episode, and to have both of those, I just thought like I would reward him for that. So in my head, I know yeah, Diane should be the MVP of this one, but I, my heart, I'm giving it to Woody. Um, and it's for it's for a, a couple of the lines. He has a few. My, the runner up for my for my favorite line was when he when Diane is going back to record her thing, and Woody wishes her luck, and she thinks Woody is in on it. So she says, "Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive." <laughs> and he's like. Mr. Jay, he's like, Mr. David, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to break your heart, but I've heard that one before or <laughs> something like that. He's like, I don't mean, I don't mean to – it's like this is bad timing, but I, that, you didn't write that. I've heard that one. I, I love the way he said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other one, like my favorite part of it was when they're first noticing Irving and they're kind of speculating on what he does. And Woody's like, well, maybe he's a writer or a poet or something. And he says, "I hope he's not writing a story about a boy and his dog who roam the countryside doing good deeds and drinking beer." And Diane's like, "Why, Woody?" And he goes, "Because that's the story I'm writing." And I just <laughs> he's so happy when he says that. I was like, "Oh my god, that was so funny."
1: Well, Woody had another great line uh, when you know when they were watching Diane on the uh, PBS show, and Woody goes. Oh, Miss Chambers, that was really great. Chickens can't do it like you can. (laughs) You know, and and he's sincere. Like, the thing about Woody, there's no guile. Like I said before, there's no guile about him. Everything he says is really sincere. It's from the heart. It's not jaded. He's this kind of this new new guy who's in this big city and Mm -hmm. experiencing a lot of things for the first time. And, yeah, and, and he means it. Like, he's not saying it to be nice to her. He's just over you know at you know what she did. I mean he's impressed by it. And of course Woody yeah. would be impressed by it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you're a better chicken than actual chickens. He's like, that's that's really impressive. He's like, now I would know I grew up on a farm. So yeah. Um, any other favorite lines or favorite moments in the episode?
1: Um I think that covers it really. I mean like I said, I just I, I, I love Cliff's line about the espionage <laughs> camera. You know, I, I I get like I said before, this is not it's not a great episode. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not a bad episode. I don't think really Cheers even had bad episodes. They had some ones that were fair to middling, but yeah, I would say you know like there probably weren't as many great lines in this as other episodes. But you know when you're churning out twenty five, twenty six episodes a season, you try to be you know one hundred percent all the time.
0: Well, Chris, thank you very much for talking about this episode with me. Where else can our listeners hear you if they want to hear more from you in the podcastosphere?
1: I have a podcast called Mr. K Super Show. And on the show, I talk about uh, 70s and 80s music with a kind of uh, variety of rotating guest co-hosts. Uh, in fact, Ryan, if, uh, you know, maybe sometime you could come on the show where we could talk about, I don't know, we'd find something, I'm sure. Anything there, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, 70s, 80s music, you know, we and it's we talk about the good, the bad uh, TV movies, cheesy stuff, guilty pleasures, what have you. Like I said, it's called Mr. K Super Show, and it's on Podomatic, uh, Apple Podcasts. It's on a lot of other podcast things as well. Uh, You know, like they leach to these the RSS feeds. So it's definitely out there. We've got uh, 22 episodes, and we do two episodes a month. And it's a lot. I have a lot of fun with it. And like I said, I'd like to have you on. I'd like to have Rob Kelly on as well sometime. And you know, because I'm always looking for a guest co-host for each episode. So. Mm Uh, Rob has
0: plenty of time. Rob has plenty of the time. I, I'll, he like, I he can,
1: only does. Yeah, he only does like half of the podcast on the Fire and Water Network.
0: I, I I feel perfectly confident that I can schedule him for you, and he, that won't be a problem for him. No, yeah, yeah. yeah no, does. that that sounds great. I, I would love to sometime. So absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you for being on this episode and thank you to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by either liking or sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, or leaving a comment on the episode fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford Wright from the Write-On Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents and Monday Movie Muckabout, who sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed.
1: Look, what's he doing now?
0: I'd say he's fixing a cigarette lighter of
1: some sort. Yeah, yeah, perhaps to the terminally naive. <laughs> Those of us in the know can spot a uh, highly sensitive Rollerflex espionage camera.
0: <laughs> yep, oh, yeah, look, he's taking pictures of us right now. Oh,
1: come on, man. Just because he looks like a spy and acts like a spy doesn't mean he is a spy, does it? I think it pretty much does, Sam. <laughs>